We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Good morning, everybody. It's a delight and a privilege to be sharing with you this morning. And I just want to say that John was and still is, uh, together with Dear Dawn, um, one of my most revered and precious friends. Um, in those early days, like the 70s, <clears throat> he was the most faithful, loyal, helpful, wise friend uh, to me. And I'll, I'll always be grateful for that. And I'm so grateful now that we've also reconnected and shared together that, that beautiful joining of relationship. Have you got some of those in your life? You just fit together. Every time I see him again, I just want to hug him and kiss him. And uh, This is a great church, too. I hope you appreciate it. Because coming in from the outside, I can tell you that with absolute authenticity, it is a magnificent church, and it's unusual. Uh, I've been into many churches across different places and nations, and I have to say that coming in here with a sense of the worship and the love for God and the upwardness and the focus is unusual in church life today. So well done. Well done, Jesus. 2 Peter 3 verse 11 needs to be read in context. He's saying, what kind of people ought you to be? What kind of people in the days that are approaching the greatest event of history, what should we be? The context is important. The context is actually about the second coming of the Lord Jesus. What kind of people should we be? Can you imagine the extent of the release of power when Jesus returns and raises all the dead? What kind of people should we be approaching the climax of history, the greatest intervention of God, who's going to make a new heaven and a new earth? What kind of people should we be preparing for in days of unprecedented judgment where God's righteousness and justice, which I hope you love because we've been redeemed from that judgment. What kind of people should we be? You know, I, you frequently find, don't you, that people say to you, well, how are you doing? And usually the reply is great, terrific, fantastic. I have a different reply. How are you doing, Mike? I'm thanking God for his mercy. I'm thanking God for his mercy. Because if I'd have stayed the way I was going without the intervention of God, what kind of person would I have turned out to be? What kind of person should we be in days that are getting worse and worse and better and better? The contradiction, the paradox of the end time days. What kind of people should we be? He gives us an answer in verse 13, which is not there. It says, looking forward, looking forward to his coming, even hastening the coming of the day. How is it that a day that's fixed in history can nevertheless be affected by you and me? Well, the answer is the kind of people that God wants you to be, the kind of person God wants you to be will actually hasten the day. I don't understand the paradox of that, that God has fixed the day and yet we can hasten it. I think it's a little bit like, you know, Christmas is fixed, but the more you get excited at it, that you used to do when you were a little boy, little girl. 
You hasten it within yourself. Are you looking forward to the future in spite of the atmosphere in which we live? Uh, I've had the privilege with Penny to go to uh, many different nations. And one of them, my favorites, is China. And in China, we go to rural areas mostly and visit the church there. And you go into little uh, towns that are still surrounded by a wall with one gate in it. And some of the houses are built into the walls. And the gate, of course, was to keep enemies uh, out, the wall there, and there's just one way through. But when the emperor would come and visit, he would come carried on what was called a palanquin. It's like a sedan chair, but it was a bed. And surrounded by soldiers, which this picture doesn't have. And, and you can just see the emperor in there, and he's, he's being carried by his soldiers, and he's throwing out the odd gift to the minions. You've seen movies like that, I'm sure. The emperor would always send somebody ahead of him, a herald, or what is called a forerunner, to prepare the people inside the town for his coming. What kind of person would you choose as a forerunner? What kind of person would adequately represent you to ensure that the message that's going inside about the coming of the emperor was accurate. What kind of person would you choose to be a forerunner? So here's the emperor. He's outside the gate. He's coming. And I'm his forerunner. And so I'm coming into the town. You uh, heard about the forerunner? The, have you heard about the emperor? Do you know that the emperor is interested in you being prepared for his coming? Because he's at the very gate. He wants you to have the very life and spirit of himself inside you. I've come to tell you that. Repent. Did you know about the emperor's coming? Are you prepared to meet? You, you do? Are you prepared? What about this great big cancer lump on your face here? Can we get rid of that and so you're prepared for the emperor? Because in the emperor's name, I have the power to remove that so you're more prepared to meet him. And not only that, but you can also pray for your daughter. The emperor's name, be gone, cancer. How's that feel? Pretty good. Was that... You I saw rolling out of the pub last night. Was that you? She said, sorry. Was that you I saw rolling out of the pub last night? So the forerunner is coming with the very life and the very breath of the one he represents in order to prepare people for his coming. What kind of people would you choose as the forerunner? What kind of people would you want? So Jesus addressed this question by asking it three times with three different answers that he proposes in order to provoke us a little bit because he takes an answer to the question each time which is a little absurd to provoke us to the truth. So in Matthew 11, let's just read together. Jesus began talking about John the Baptist so to the crowds. John the Baptist is this forerunner. So John the Baptist is the forerunner of the first coming of Jesus. We are a generation of John the Baptist. We are a generation of forerunners preparing not for the first, but for the second coming of Jesus, which is a higher privilege and a more severe task. What kind of people, then, should we be? What kind of man did you go out into the wilderness to see? He's provoking the crowds about John because he wants them to understand what the corporate forerunner should be like. I believe the forerunner generation that provokes the coming of Jesus for the second time is one that will change the face of Christianity in a single generation. My goodness. Because it does need changing, wouldn't you agree? What kind of man would you 
did you go out into the wilderness to see? A weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Is that what you would expect a forerunner to be? Or then, or were you expecting, same question, second time. Or were you expecting to see, see a man dressed in expensive clothing? No. He even tells us no. You wouldn't expect that kind of person because they just live in palaces. John was in the wilderness. Or, verse 9, the same question, a third time. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, but more than a prophet. John is the one of whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending you my messenger, my forerunner, ahead of you, and he will prepare the way before you. I'm suggesting to us that we are a forerunner generation carrying the life, the breadth, the nature, the very image of Christ to prepare a lost and fallen world before it's too late. That's your commission. I'll tell you the truth, as if Jesus would do anything but tell us the truth. I tell you the truth, says Jesus, no one ever born of a woman is greater than John the Baptist. Surely no one ever born of a woman is greater than he has a message to tell us. Wouldn't you agree? And yet, even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he. How can that be? What a paradox. I mean, John was this revivalist. It says all of Jerusalem came down to see him. Down that robber's road and down into the depths of the Jordan Valley. They all came out. It was, it was like a revival. All in Jerusalem came to see him and he preached and thousands were baptized and thousands began to follow Jesus. It was the initiation of this incredible three years of Jesus' life. We? You? Greater than he? How could that be? And from the time John began preaching until now, the kingdom of God has been advancing forcefully and the violent take it by force. I want to share with you what kind of people we should be by looking at these three questions. The first being then, what would you expect in verse 7? What would you expect? A reed blown around by the wind? A person who just sort of goes with the flow? You know, what culture's like, don't you? You know, a little bit of sex before marriage. You know, it's just the way the wind blows. A little bit of porn. I mean, you've got to know what's out there. You've got to be aware for your praying's sake, right? A little bit of porn. Very destructive. Well, you know, a little bit of weed. Just got to get rid of my anxiety now and again. Just blowing in the wind. LB program. Well, you know, 21st century. Just need to make sure that we kind of balance the word of God. Really? Is that what you expect? Is that the spirit of the forerunner? It's getting a bit warm up here. I'm presenting to you a negative for us to more clearly see the positive. A little bit busy this week, you know. Now work's not so busy. I think I can surf the net a little bit. Shouldn't do it, really. My boss doesn't really like it. But, you know, everybody's into it, really, isn't it? I mean, got to keep my mind active, really. Isn't that true? Don't think the government's doing such a good job. Shouldn't be taking my taxes. Not this amount, anyway. I feel it's a righteous cause. I'm going to keep some back. I'm not going to tell anybody, of course, but Inland Revenue, you know, they're all a bunch of crooks, aren't they, really? Hmm. 
Is that what you expect of a forerunner? Well, you know, church going out on the streets, doing a bit of evangelism. It's not my scene, really. I don't feel anointed for the streets, really. Just need to check out Netflix. Liverpool's playing West Ham next week, so, you know, put the car in cruise. So Jesus is expressing a provocative thing to us. Our society is a pleasure-seeking society. John wore a hairy coat. He lived a fasted lifestyle. Now, you cannot repent of wanting and desiring pleasure because God created you with a longing and a desire for pleasure. God likes pleasure. He's a happy God most of the time. And he enjoys pleasure. One of his greatest pleasures is you. He desires you. He enjoys you. He likes you, which is better than being just loved. You cannot repent of desiring pleasure. The challenge is, what's the source of that pleasure? For many, even believers, they sacrifice long-term satisfaction and enjoyment of life on the short-term altar of quick pleasure. And so we find that John deals with awkwardness. There's a time, Solomon said, to speak, and there's a time to keep silent. It, doesn't, it needs wisdom when to know which to do with that. And your little child comes home and says, Mommy, he just said today I should ask myself a question if I'm a little boy or a little girl. There's a time to speak. I would say, well, just look down after you get out of the shower. You'll know quickly enough. And so we find with John the Baptist, he's actually challenging the system, the wind of his day. And he goes in, of course, and let me never sit in the front. It's always a dangerous place to be. Here he is preparing, preparing John, if I could be so presumptuous. Now, you know, of course, that... Um, when you go in to see his majesty, you, you wait until you're called and uh, you, you know, you're appropriate with him and honor Herod, of course, and um, don't, don't, don't speak until he speaks to you. And, and when he's finished speaking, you go out backwards, of course. You, have you got that? Because we know you're a bit of a prophet. We know you're a bit, you know, you like to say your mind, don't you? You know, you know what you stand for. And when you know what you stand for, you, you know what you will not stand for. Mm -hmm. John, Herod, you're an adulterer. God does not like this. There are repercussions of your adultery, one of which is, I'm going to lose my head. And so this man is bold, but whilst he's bold, he's also, we find, he's also got a very gentle spirit. He's not this weird prophet who's got a sort of locust leg hanging out of his teeth and he's, he's always angry with everything. That's not, a, that's not a prophetic spirit. A prophetic, a prophetic spirit is one that represents Jesus that will, be, that will be, yes, determined and angry about some things and, and not about others. I love Psalm 45, verse 7. It says that he was anointed with the oil of gladness and joy because he loved righteousness. Would somebody say, I love righteousness? <laughs> One or two of us in the room. I love righteousness. I do. I'm built for righteousness. I, 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 it's a gift to me. It's something God has given me, which is I love righteousness and I hate wickedness. Don't you? I hate pornography. I hate child abuse. I hate wickedness. It's something God has given me. I didn't cultivate that. What a gracious God. And because of that, if you determined to declare it and live it and follow it, you will be anointed with the oil of gladness. Isn't it interesting that joy, which is our strength, is linked to the determined spirit 
to love righteousness and hate wickedness in the way that I live. Aren't we a blessed people? Then he asked the question the second time, verse 8. He said, what do you expect of this forerunner? He said, do you expect him to be a rich man? He said, no. Rich men live in palaces. I don't think he's talking so much about wealth and money as he's talking about the attitude of the heart. He's talking about the comfortable lifestyle, which will lead to a compromised lifestyle. Amos puts it this way in chapter 6. He says, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Elsewhere in the Bible puts it this way. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Always remember hearing the story of a, a man in the olden days who was responsible for changing the points on a railroad that led over a bridge, a railway. And he had to pull this huge lever back, which engaged the cogs, which turned the railway so the train could pass over the bridge. And as he heard the express train coming down the line, he was about to grab hold of this huge handle which would engage the clogs. And to his dismay, he saw his little boy suddenly fall into the cogs. And he was faced with the decision, do I engage the cogs and crush my son or let the train crash into the river? And he pulled the lever. And as he watched the train go over the rail, over the bridge, he, he saw men reading their newspapers, ladies combing their hair, children drawing pictures on the, on the windows. And he said, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? And talking about the compassion of Jesus, it's uncomfortable life we live in. What happened to self-sacrifice? What happened, all you who in this life will suffer persecution? That's not being thrown in the Iron Lady with the screws being turned necessarily. But if my life is counting for Christ, there will be resistance. Otherwise, I'm flowing downstream. Am I provoking you a little bit? What kind of people do you energetically desire to be? What kind of changes do I need in my life to conform more to the image of Christ? It's not about wealth, it's about the heart. You know, well, you know, Sunday morning, really. <clears throat> I know they pray from about mm, quarter to ten onwards over there at the school, but, you know, I need, I need to finish my coffee. Don't want, to be too, don't want to be too radical, I mean, you know. Anyway, the classroom's not that big where they pray, so if I go, I might overspill. Don't want to crowd people. I'll get there when the worship's halfway through. Want to hear the message, of course. Well, maybe I will. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Seek first my kingdom. All these things will be added unto you, rich man. And then, so interesting, in verse 12, he says, The kingdom of God has been advancing forcefully, and the violent take it by force. Now, at the end of this meeting, Nathan and uh, John, myself, and some others, we're going to meet you outside. We've got a large truck, and we've got machine guns in there. We're going to give you a quick lesson on how to cock the weapon and how to pull the trigger and hold it tight to your shoulder. Please hold it tight to your shoulder. The reek will hurt your shoulder, so pull it in tight, will you? And we're going to go out evangelizing in Dagenham. 
Repent or I'll blow your head off. I said that in a Scottish accent. No, no, no. It's not, it's not a military violence, is it? He's not talking about a military, but he is talking about a passionate, determined, uncompromising, uncomfortable. Really, it's like this. You can be in the kingdom. You can be born again and under the reign of the king and yet not of the kingdom. You don't carry its DNA yet. And so there is, there is at the entranceway, only the violent can come in to the kingdom in that sense of being of it. And I believe really what he's talking about here, Jesus, he's talking about your whole heart, all your affections. Guard your heart, says the proverb, for from it flow the issues of life. It's your whole heart. You see, because if you've got half your heart in the world and half your heart in the kingdom, you're not in the kingdom in the sense he's talking about. And if you go on pursuing that route, eventually you will split right up the middle. Many people are stuck. Many people are stuck with half hearts, half-hearted. We were singing this morning, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Don't you love that? But I have to confess, every time I go to witness to somebody about Jesus, I've got that little voice which is rooted in fear inside of me. So don't make yourself look like a fool. What if they reject you? I still have that after all these years, nearly, you know, 10 years declaring that I'm no longer a slave to fear. No longer. Do you know what? We've got God on our side. <laughs> we, we've read the end of the story. We win. But it requires violence. The other side of John is very interesting. John the Baptist now, though he's this bold, prophetic, determined, wholehearted, preparing the way, then look at this scripture we get in John 3. Look, look read this with me together. See, I'm not the Messiah, he says. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. There's the forerunner. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. So he's relating his relationship in the context of a bridal paradigm of a bridegroom and a bride. That's this repentant prophet in the wilderness confronting the king. But there's this other side of beauty and gentleness and intimacy with Jesus. Isn't it lovely? Do you want to be like John? This is the, the prophetic forerunner generation. There is a paradigm in which you and I are called to fit, which is like a bride and a bridegroom. How many of you are married here? How many of you remember those courting days? Remember how excited you used to get? I, used to, I, used to, I was down in Aldershot in the army. My wife was up in London nursing, and I would call her. And um, it was in the days when you, you put your finger in the thing, and it, it went back, and, and you, you had to do it again. You remember those days? You don't? All right, don't worry. Ask somebody over the age of 50. And so I would call up my wife, my, my, my girlfriend, and, and I'd, she'd answer the phone. And she'd always answer it this way. Is it you? Is it really you? Is it you? Is it really you? I go, yes, it's really me. This is my wife, Penny. We've been known each other for 53 years this year. And I have to say, she is the better part. And if you knew me like John does, he would agree and say amen. But I'm more in love in a different way. When I proposed to her, do you remember what I said? I will you marry me? When we got engaged, what did I say? As much as I know what love is, I think I love you. Now I know I love her. We're intimate. We love one another. Without the third person, I would never have made it. Nor would I. What I'm saying is that this forerunner generation has an intimacy in it. 
You see, to be angry and resolute about something indicates that you love something passionately. When you love passionately, you have the ability to get righteously angry. And we do in this era need to get righteously angry. And we need wisdom to know how to communicate that. So we're not this, the way that the world sees us is sort of wet limpet type of Christian, you know. It, no, there's, there's something which is attractive and admirable. Remember when Mary comes to Elizabeth, and if you read it in, in Luke 2 at Christmas time usually, and here's Elizabeth pregnant with, with John, the guy we're talking about this morning. And, and here comes Mary, and she's about six months behind it. She's not even showing yet, but Elizabeth's going like this, you know. And the Bible says that when Mary greeted Elizabeth, Hi, Elizabeth! Elizabeth exclaims, Oh, the babe leapt within my womb! And so he's meeting Jesus in the womb. Don't say that babies can't connect in the womb. Any lady here who's pregnant, don't, don't show, please, because your husband might not know. You speak to that baby. Baby, I love you. He can hear you. She can hear you. Looking forward to seeing you so much. And the babe leapt in Elizabeth's womb. See, this, this foreigner was a leaping man at the voice of Jesus, even in his mother's womb. He says, look, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. You see, are, are we the bride or are we the friend of the bridegroom? The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom. So John says, well, which is it? Am I the bride or am I the friend of the bridegroom? Well, both. In your DNA, we are the bride. In our service to God, we are the friend of the bridegroom who introduces people to our best friend. We're both. But look at this, the intimacy. He says who stands and hears him. Is it really you? I like to get up in the morning and look down within myself and say, good morning, morning, Holy Spirit. You there? Of course I'm there. Thank you. See, some people get up in the morning and they say, good morning, good morning, Lord. There's others that get up and say, good Lord, it's morning. Which are you? Great joy when I hear his voice. Don't you covet that? Don't you want that? Well, then he asked the question for the third time. What did you expect this forerunner to be like? What did you expect John the Baptist to be like? A prophet? Yes, and more than a prophet. More than a prophet in this sense that, that he's also a forerunner who is a prophet. That's us. See, a prophet is not necessarily just somebody who prophesies and says, thus saith the Lord, as we used to say in the old days, to try and give it all greater authenticity. Thus saith the Lord, yea, my son unto thee, my son. Thou art walking down the king's highway, yea, and yes and it was full of wind. Jeremiah talks about the prophet that's full of wind. You could use another word, but basically when he prophesies, it's, <laughs> it's got no content yet. I'm using biblical, you can look it up, it's biblical. But the prophet is somebody whose whole life is living from above, yet he's still on the earth. I remember being in Africa one time and seeing these elephants and they got their trunk up. They're breathing from above but they're walking through the cesspit of the earth. That's what we are. We're people breathing from above. John Stott put it this way. It's a people between two worlds. We're bringing what we see as heavenly to become earthly. In my life first, in my marriage next, in my kids next, in my community, in my church, equipping one another. And so to be a prophetic forerunner generation, more than a prophet, is that we see that we're preparing the way for the second coming of Christ. 
that we're this profit generation. And so that everything is being measured by a plumb line. See, there's some people in life, they know what's right. They've got a plumb line against it, and they try and bend the plumb line to make the wall look straight. You can't do that. You've got to take the wall down and say, go all through the faff, I've got to build it all again. And so the prophet is there that's, that's got this beautiful sensitiveness, and this grace and this beauty and this encouragement and this exhortation. It's not this angry face that's fighting and negatively pulling down everything. No, there's a dimension of God that is, you understand what I'm saying? What a beautiful people. Thank you. What a beautiful people. Well, verse 11, he says, even the least of you is greater than he. How can you be greater than the great John the Baptist in this sense? See, John the Baptist was pre the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit and his power. We don't read of John the Baptist doing any miracles, but we do read that John the Baptist, who is to return, is like Elijah the prophet. That's us. Signs, wonders, miracles will be needed not to just show off Christianity, but to deal with the evil and the tide of wickedness that is in the end time days. And greater in privilege, for he was privileged to herald the first coming of Jesus, but we the second. Just after we were married, and this power, incidentally, is not a show-off power. At the moment in Christianity, we've got a lot of big heavies, people who are... um, you know, on TV, and there's nothing wrong with that, and it's attractive and so on. But the generation that we're talking about will be so filled that our younger people and our older people will go around doing the power miracles of Christ. And it won't be heralded with newspapers and TV and, and oh, now this person's coming to town. And No, it'll be just the general everybody a no-face generation changing the face of generations of Christian generation. That it will be, well, who was it that, like that man, you know, who was it that healed your eyes or blind? No, come on, you weren't born blind. Yes, I was born blind. You asked my parents, well, who was that man? I don't know, he was here and he's gone. And John said of himself, he said, I'm not worthy to untie his laces. So one of the reasons that God will invest greater power into the church is when there's greater cradle of character to hold it. Otherwise, if he put great power in the church, which he does do by grace, then we mess it up, now he's got to judge it. And we've seen person after person after person go down because the cradle of character wasn't sufficiently strong. I want that in my life. I want that in my church. Character is two things. Humility and integrity. Put your hand up if you would like God to resist you. Not a single hand. That means the fear of the Lord is in this room. Put your hand up if you want more grace. Humble yourself. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Just after we were married, Penny and I came up here to London to listen to a man called Brother Andrew. He used to smuggle Bibles into Eastern Europe. There he is. See all his Bibles? He used to pack them into his car and smuggle them into Romania and Russia and give them out to Christians who were being persecuted. Anyway, we went to hear him speak. And I can't remember all that he said now. Obviously, it was a long while ago. But at the end of his talk, I remember him saying, he said, I'm going to give you a challenge. Anywhere, anytime, anyhow, go. Now, if that's you, 
He said, I want you to come down the front and God's going to write your name down. You're going to ask him, take my name anywhere, anytime, anyhow, I'll go. And he said this, from the end of the street to the ends of the earth. It's sometimes easier to go to Africa than it is to go to the end of the street. Penny and me, we were the first ones down there, weren't we, love? We were the first one. We wanted to go. We wanted to pull up the shutters. You want to go? Want to be this forerunner generation? It's a going generation. The church is to equip you to go. The harvest actually is not inside the building. It's not in the barn. The harvest is in the field to be brought into the barn. I'm going to give you this invitation. I want to go anywhere, anytime, anyhow. Write my name. The day came, not came to our heart. It was many years later, but we went. I would like to offer you that invitation. Say, God, here I am. I'm nearly 99, but I've still got this go spirit in me. I'm nearly nine, and I want to be included in this uncomfortable, passionate, sensitized forerunner generation. And say, yes, Lord. I'll go. But do it soberly right now. Heavenly Father, I really mean it. Here's my heart on my hands. I lift it up to you. Here's my life, my future, my resources, my money, my marriage, the whole thing. I want to go. I want to count for Christ. I want to give you pleasure. I want to do the real stuff. I want to be empowered. So I'm asking you to write my name down. Anytime, anywhere, anyhow, count me in. In your grace, I will respond. I will go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk, or Twitter at lifelineuk.